0: Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Henry Mantz, Chief Features Writer, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. Opposition MPs voiced loud protests after the UK Parliament was officially suspended this week. A court battle will now determine whether Boris Johnson's decision to suspend Parliament during the crucial final weeks of Brexit negotiations was indeed legal. Scotland's highest court ruled that it was not legal, but the High Court in London earlier ruled that it was. So the Supreme Court is now expected to issue a definitive opinion in the coming days. Here with me to discuss how all this plays into the Brexit debate and its longer-term impact on our democracy is Professor Shona Douglas-Scott, an expert in constitutional law, and John Aglionby, Assistant UK News Editor. Thanks both for joining me. Now, John, can you first bring us up to date with where we are on Brexit and why Boris Johnson
1: said he needed to suspend Parliament. Well, who knows quite where we are on Brexit, to be honest, because it is a complete mass of possibilities and unknowns. And Boris Johnson said he needed to suspend Parliament for reasons completely separate to Brexit. He says he wants to deliver on his bold and ambitious domestic agenda and that he needs a break from the current parliament and then have what's called a Queen's Speech, where the government announces a full legislative programme and its priorities are the National Health Service, the police, prisons, education. So, you know, big hot button issues with the electorate. So he's saying it's nothing to do with Brexit and preventing a no deal Brexit. But the opposition just don't believe that at all. And to give listeners some context, I mean, normally a prime minister who's come in
0: over the summer, who's set out an agenda, might wish to have this formal restarting
1: of the political process said, these are the laws that I want to pass as prime minister. Exactly. He's completely within convention and history to have a formal break and then to announce a formal legislative agenda. What is causing the problem is that he's wanting to extend the period of suspension from three weeks to five. And the opposition say this does not give them enough time to debate Brexit before October the 31st, which is the key date when, by law, the UK will leave the European Union unless there is a deal to extend the Brexit divorce process negotiations or the UK revokes Article 50 and stays in. So in a way, it's a familiar tale of
0: the British constitution being set up one way and established practices being one way. And then you have the Brexit process laid on top with particular deadlines, which complicates matters and means that traditional instruments suddenly become actually very inconvenient or inappropriate from the point of view of the
1: opposition. And not just from the opposition, but from the government, because if they're wanting to try and either steamroll a Brexit through... Boris has said he would die in a ditch rather than seek an extension and he wants to deliver Brexit do or die. And so he's trying to finagle events to his advantages however he can and he's decided that having this lengthier-than-normal suspension of Parliament is to his advantage. What he didn't realise was that the opposition had fought back. shown from a constitutional perspective, how unusual is it
0: that a prime minister or a government should have this kind of power to control how the legislature sits?
2: Well, I think I'd say, firstly, I don't think it's completely in accord with history that Johnson has prorogued Parliament in order to bring forward a new session. This is the longest suspension since 1945. So that makes it rather exceptional indeed. And secondly, I think that the reasons given are not the normal reasons that would be given for suspending Parliament. I mean, normally it's simply to have a Queen's speech and to bring in a new parliament. But that was put into question by the judgment of the Scottish Court, because they haven't been able to find clear evidence as to what the intent was here.
0: John, what would Parliament be doing at this time if it were sitting? I mean, is there an urgent need? It's passed a law requiring a Brexit extension if there is no deal agreed with the EU by the middle of October. So the chances of a no deal Brexit to some extent seem to have receded. What are opposition parties saying about the reasons to be there in Westminster right now?
1: They're saying that they could, would, should be questioning the government over its preparations, for example, for a no-deal Brexit. And that if the government are not really doing the right things, then this would be an added reason to prolong the Brexit divorce process to seek an extension from the European Union. So that's one thing. They're also wanting to be questioning the government over you know, how it's seeking a deal. And so it just doesn't believe that Boris Johnson is being honest with them and it wants more time to hold the executive to scrutiny. They're not exactly going to be doing a massive amount, but for them it's much more of a point of principle that they believe they're being lied to by the executive and that they want to be able to hold the executive to account. Shona, can you explain
0: to us Why the two different courts, the one in Scotland and the one in London, have reached these different decisions about whether the decision to suspend Parliament was legal?
2: Well, I think, to be brief, one Scottish court decided that the matter was justiciable. It was a matter that the courts could decide upon, and the High Court in London decided that it wasn't. I don't think there's a great deal of difference between Scottish law and English law on this point. In questions of judicial review of what the administration is doing, the legal principles they apply are very similar. So the Scottish court took the position that there was no clear reason, there was no evidence backing up the fact that this was simply in order to prepare for a Queen's speech. Whereas the English court, the high court, said, well, we just don't look at these matters. But that, I think, is a bit undermined by the fact that in the Miller case, for example, nearly two years ago, the High Court and the Supreme Court in London looked at the reasons as to why Parliament should have to be consulted when it came to the government triggering Article 50. So we have quite a lot of precedents where courts do look at high policy and political matters.
0: The Miller case, which you mentioned, is a businesswoman who decided to make the case that the government itself could not begin Brexit negotiations, that Parliament had to vote first, and the Supreme Court eventually agreed with her. It's funny, being in Westminster at that time, some people said, well, look, it wasn't actually that significant. There was a huge debate in the media about this, about whether the judges were defying the people But in fact, Parliament then went and voted for the start of Brexit negotiations. So it wasn't an absolute break on the Prime Minister, who was then Theresa May at the beginning of 2017. So even though the courts uh, ruled against the government, the government then got its way. In fact, taking the long view back on 2017, the judge's decision might have actually been important because it might have fed into this continued use of the courts, do you think, Shona?
2: Well, I think that the courts are going to be involved where there are legal issues at stake. And there were legal issues at stake as to whether the government could start Brexit negotiations. That's not a matter of interfering in politics. That was simply a legal question because it was a matter of basically the termination of all EU legal rights that would be at stake if Britain leaves the EU. So that's a legal question that has political ramifications. I think that established a good reason why the court should be involved. And I don't think I'd really put it as the government getting its way. I think Miller was a really, really important case. It established that in matters that seem to relate to the executive, that actually the courts do have a really, really important role in scrutinising whether decisions that ministers take are legal or not. British law makes it very clear that this is not a no-go area for the courts. There are clear legal principles as to when they will and must intervene.
0: You mentioned the phrase the rule of law, which has been bandied about in the last couple of weeks. Boris Johnson's government firstly suggested that it wouldn't necessarily follow a law by Parliament passed to avoid a no-deal Brexit and now has cast some aspersions on the way that the judges have reached their decision in Scotland. Is there something significant going on here about how the government treats the law in the UK?
2: Well, I think it depends on how this all um, pans out. But yeah, I think potentially it could be significant. The rule of law is a very important principle, and in the British Constitution, parliamentary sovereignty and the rule of law are two key principles, and this goes right back to our 17th century settlement and the Bill of Rights. So if the government is potentially saying they're not going to follow a parliamentary statute, that is very, very serious indeed. And it's also rather ironic, given that one of the claims for Brexit was to take back control for Parliament. And if Parliament is going to be pushed out of the picture, then I think that undermines claims that the undemocratic EU was imposing itself, because in this case, parliamentary sovereignty is the bedrock of our constitution, has been for many hundreds of years. And if the government is going to override that for reasons of its own, then I think that really does undermine our whole constitution.
0: And John, the other dynamic here is that if the Supreme Court decides to side with the government, then many people in Scotland may feel their court, the court in Scotland, has been overruled by a UK court, a British court sitting in London, and there is an issue
1: of Scottish nationalism there. Do the Scots feel that they've been overruled again? Yes, I think that is an element of what's going on here. And the chance are that this country will be having a general election in the next two to three months because Boris has a majority in Parliament of minus 43. And he is likely to get a bloody nose in Scotland. The Scottish National Party, which is pro-independence, is likely to take quite a lot of seats from the Conservatives. And so that will only stoke the demands for independence even greater I mean in 2014 there was this referendum in Scotland that failed but not by much and so we could well see another referendum in Scotland sooner rather than later and the result could be different because of events like this in the courts.
0: And final word Shona you're in the US how is this all being viewed across the Atlantic?
2: Well I think it depends where you look On the one hand, the Trump administration (laughs) seems to be behind the idea of a no-deal Brexit, although it has to be said that the US Congress has made it very clear that they wouldn't approve any trade deal that threatened the Good Friday Agreement or rights over the island of Ireland. On the other hand, the New York Times, the Washington Post, what I've been reading is very critical of the Brexit debates, the direction they've taken. For example, the New York Times recently said the country's elected representatives have shown they will not surrender democracy to populist ploys. And back in 2016, I thought it was interesting that in the Washington Post, there was an article with a headline that, no, Brexit was not Britain's declaration of independence. It was the exact opposite because the founders called for a government that would allow for free movement of goods and peoples. So the opinion in the US is mixed, depending on your political outlook, I think.
0: Thanks, Shona. Thanks, John, uh, for your comments. And thank you for listening. And we'll leave you with a clip of Scottish and Welsh MPs offering a protest in song after this week's suspension of Parliament. Don't forget, if you missed our episodes on the changes at the heart of the Saudi oil industry, how Google uses your data, or Italy's new political alliance, you can find them all on the usual podcast platforms.